Good morning, Northbrook. This morning I'll be reading from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. I'll be reading from the House Bible, so if you need a Bible, you're welcome to grab one from the back table. And I'll be reading on page 935. Again, that's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, good morning, friends. Uh, enjoying the nice rainy morning. There's uh, about a hundred more people here than I thought there would be. Uh, you know that rain can be can be tricky to navigate. It's actually you know many of you know I live right across the street, and actually on rainy days it's actually a little more inconvenient because we tend to walk over. And then it was about 10:50 when I realized, or no, it's not 10:50 yet. It was about 9:50 when I realized, oh, I still have a couple kids at my house that I need to go get. Um, and then I did go get them. Everything's fine. Worked out great. Steve, thanks for parking the car for me. Um, and uh, one thing I wanted to bring your, your attention real quick before uh, we even hop into more of Second uh, Timothy um, is we have a member meeting coming up. And one of the things I, I just really always want to encourage us towards uh, as we as elders, as we think and pray and uh, consider what we want these nights to be. So we have kind of four of these nights a year. There are two nights of prayer and two member meetings. So nights of prayer open to everybody, uh, member meetings open to members. But really, we kind of look at these nights being uh, really the same in the sense of us coming together as a church, uh, considering who God is and what he's doing in the world and seeking him for those things here at uh, Northbrook Church. So this isn't like your typical member meeting that you maybe grew up with. If you were at the Paradox and they, they had it, they called, one, they called it the Partner Summit. It's a really cool name because it was the Paradox. Uh, when you live right next to Costco, you're not allowed to have cool names for things. Uh, so we call it member meeting. Uh, but it really is the same idea, that we, we come together and we pour our hearts out to God. We sing, we pray, uh, we hear about what God's doing in the life of the church, uh, and we stir one another on to love and good deeds. And so uh, that is coming up. So if you haven't registered for that, which actually as I remember, I have not registered for that yet. Uh, go ahead and do that and plan on being there. Leah, is there any way you can actually go to that slide real quick that says when the... Oh, way to go. It was up there this whole time? Man, you're so good at everything. Um, so May 7th, 5 to 7 p.m., uh, and register for that so we can. We have dinner together, and then we have childcare as well. Uh, so register for that, and then be praying for that. Pray that uh, the Lord would meet us, and uh, that that time, again, we want it to be about that, but we can't make that happen. We need God to show up as he's been so pleased uh, to do. Even just give you one quick story uh, from things that have at our last night of prayer, Matt uh, shared a story, and if you didn't hear it, you 
you weren't there, so you didn't hear it, and now you'll just be curious what that was. Uh, but when he was singing uh, for the first time, Sophia, my, my oldest, was like, oh, it was so sweet to see him lead and sing and lead in worship after hearing the story that he shared uh, at the night of prayer. And, and so that's just, you know, the spirit moving and encouraging one another uh, through these kinds of nights, and, and that's what we hope for. So hopefully you can make that. Uh, we, we, it, it should be a great time. So Second Timothy. Uh, as you heard Jim, Jeremy read, we're, we're kicking off this series in Second Timothy with just these uh, first seven verses. And just here is my main point straight off. is just simply that life is hard and we need encouragement. That life is hard and we need encouragement. And, and obviously Second Timothy is a book written by a pastor, an apostle and pastor, the Apostle Paul, to another pastor uh, about pastoring. So uh, I wanted to start off with some stories, even about how pastors can find life uh, really difficult. And there are going to be a few lighter stories before I get into some heavier stories. But a while back, uh, I was actually, it was the last time I went to summer camp as a student. I think I was a sophomore, maybe going into my sophomore year in high school. And we were at summer camp. And one of my pastors, he, he told uh, me and my other youth pastor this story. At that summer camp, he uh, needed to use the restroom. And this story is kind of on the bubble of like, should I share this or not? So just to, I asked a couple people. One said, I'm not sure. One said, yeah. Uh, so here, just to prepare you in that way. Uh, but he was like, he needed to use the, use the restroom and found a spot to use the restroom. So he went and uh, used the restroom. And then uh, just a couple moments later for uh, a toilet. Now, again, it was kind of confusing <laughs> But um, it was uh, a horrific experience for him, and most likely for the other people that weren't bold enough to go wash, wash their hands uh, in that moment. And so I say that, just life's hard. Life, life is hard to figure out at times, and that's uh, a clear example of that. Here's, here's another one. I'll make fun of me. Uh, so uh, another example of how life can be hard. I'm glad that got you, Landry. Um, but um, I mean... Anyways, so one time I was uh, meeting some people for lunch, and it's a place I've gone to, I think, several times before, which makes the story even worse, uh, but it was a sushi axiom off of Montgomery uh, in Montgomery Plaza, and was just meeting some people for lunch, and uh, not thinking much about it, and walked in, and in this particular restaurant, like, when you walk in, now all of a sudden you're in this glass box, um, which you walk into that, and then into the restaurant, and I immediately, for whatever reason, stepped into this glass box and had no idea where to go. I had no idea where the other door was to get into the restaurant, and it's a glass box, so I just picture everybody in this restaurant staring at me, and I'm thinking, I'm not about to push on a wall and get it wrong and have all these people staring at me. I think there was even a water feature, so I was like, I know it's not that one, but I can't tell which one it is. So I just walked back out, um, and I felt really bad about life and everything, um, and, and fortunately, someone uh, walked in and had no problem navigating that glass prison, uh, and I was able to follow them into the restaurant and, you know, feel like, okay, got, got through this one. Um, and then, so again, life, life can be difficult. Um, I'm going to tell one more. We, we've got a minute. It's going to be a shorter sermon. Um, so uh, I was, um, we had community group one night, and me and Ginger drove separately, so I took some of the kids home. This is when we were at the Paradox, like, in getting ready to launch Northbrook, and uh, 
and got the kids home. And then was, I think I was laying in bed by this time and got a text. And it was from Kelly Wallenberg. Some of you remember her. They moved up to Colorado. Uh, it was Kelly. And we was at their house. And she texted. And she's like, I, this doesn't make any sense. But uh, Dave's not here. He's out of town. And I see a grown man's shoes here that I don't recognize. Did any of y'all leave your shoes here? <laughs> And I saw the text and even saw the picture. I was like, man, what an idiot. I don't, that's so, probably, there's no way anybody left their shoes. How, how does that even happen? And then uh, just go on about my business. And then um, Ginger comes in and she was like, hey. I was like, hey. And uh, she's like, did you leave your shoes? I, thought, I was like, no, I didn't leave my shoes. And then I look a little closer and I was like, oh my goodness. I left my shoes at their house. And so... Um, I had to admit that to the whole community group there. Like, yes, those are, those are my shoes. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, there was a lot of chatter about that. And I know you all have lots of questions, and we have time, but we don't have that much time to get into how that happened. But these are just a few pictures that show, and life can be hard. Uh, life can be hard and figuring out how to navigate life. There's all kinds of different, you, you found yourself, maybe not in those exact moments, but I could make fun of you just as much. You may have lost all faith in me by now, and that's fine. Uh, I don't want you to have your faith in me. But the, the reality is life is hard. And again, those are a few lighter examples, uh, but, but we all know life is even harder than all of that. Uh, that as we think about the, the real things, the heavy things, uh, those moments may expose some insecurity and some struggle. They're mostly fun to laugh at afterwards. Uh, but then there's those other moments that, that actually, they're, they're not fun at all. Uh, that they're really just hard. Uh, that, that we're struggling with chronic pain. Uh, that, that we've lost a job. That we've lost a child. That we desire a child and have not been able to have one. There's all kinds of hardness that comes into our life, and we need to encourage each other, perhaps in those lighter moments, uh, but we definitely need encouragement in the real hardness of life, when our, our marriage is struggling, when, when relationships have fallen apart. Um, I, even if you think about the context here uh, of this letter, uh, we see that, that Paul is no, not foreign to, to the hardness of life. Look at what John Stott says about this context of 2 Timothy. It says, He describes himself as our Lord's prisoner. And this was his second Roman imprisonment. He was not now enjoying the comparative freedom and comfort of his own hired house in which Luke takes leave of him at the end of Acts and from which he seems to have been set free as he expected. Instead, he was incarcerated in some dismal underground dungeon with a hole in the ceiling for light and air. Perhaps it was the Mamertine prison, as tradition says, but wherever he was, Onisiphorus, man, Onisiphorus, that's not how you say that at all, uh, succeeded in finding him only after a painstaking search. He was certainly in chains. He was chained like a criminal. He was also suffering acutely from the loneliness, the boredom, and the cold of prison life. The preliminary hearing of his case had already taken place. Now he was awaiting the full trial, but was not expecting to be acquitted. Death appeared to him inevitable. And so even as we think about Paul's context, and if you're like me, you've heard so much about Paul writing from prison. To be honest with you, the reality of it's a little lost on us. 
Like we maybe even feel a little nostalgic about that. We maybe feel like, oh yeah, Paul's writing from prison, having a hard time, and yet he's being so encouraging. But I would just think about, man, if I had a good friend right now that was in prison and was pretty sure his death was going to come because he was proclaiming the gospel. Like that helps me, like, man, this is not just some nostalgic story. This is not just some, you know, fairy tale of this guy that's having a rough life but finding great encouragement in Christ. This is someone who, who realizes death is imminent. Um, that, that is in a, in a horrific, devastating situation. Something that if our family or friends were in, we would be pleading with God day and night for them to find relief. Uh, and, and this is where Paul writes from. And so he, Paul is no, he, he's not foreign to the hardness of life. Uh, again, I think sometimes we, we, the, the, the hardness of life that we find in the scriptures, we, we detach. We've seen, we've seen people die. We've been abused. We have experienced horrific things in our lives. And the Bible is, is not absent from those, but present in those moments as it speaks the words of life that come from the gospel. And this is the context uh, that we find Paul in. And in this little letter, we get the last words. Uh, of a man that God used to change the course of history. Uh, the, these are, the, the, if you will, Paul's final will and testament. Like it's not, it doesn't make it more important than the rest of his letters or the rest of the scriptures, but it makes it unique in that way. That man, he's boiling down his life and his ministry and passing it on uh, to this young pastor uh, in Timothy. And so that we would sit in the place of Timothy uh, and, and receive that all that Paul had for him, that we would uh, receive as well. And, and Paul seek, and it's also encouragement that we should give. So the kind of Paul, the kind of encouragement Paul is going to offer is the kind of encouragement that as we are looking to be encouraged from others, from pastors, from friends, from family, it's the kind of encouragement we should seek. So I'm saying that because we don't always seek this kind of encouragement, but it's also the kind of encouragement that we should offer uh, one another. And we see uh, a few things about this encouragement. One, that we need to encourage uh, we need encouragement in our faith, and we need relational encouragement, and we need encouragement in our weakness. So likewise, we need to encourage others in their faith. We need to encourage others relationally. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. So, so Paul, one, is encouraging Timothy in his faith by showing him that life is found in Jesus. Paul's opening lines to letters show us that the, this is the foundation of his encouragement, that there is one place life is found, and it is in Jesus Christ. Often our encouragement can be flattery, or maybe we don't encourage because we're cynical about everything, but when you realize that life is found in Jesus, and Jesus is found in us, then real encouragement can actually happen. Paul's encouragement isn't fluffy or lacking substance. Paul's encouragement is founded in the one in whom the fullness of God dwells. Like, like even right off the bat, that should be somewhat of a corrective. It is to me that when we're thinking about others and we're wanting to encourage one another, that it all flows from and in and through Jesus and who he is and what he's done. And it can't be found actually anywhere else. Just as life can't be found anywhere else, neither can encouragement be found uh, anywhere else than in and through who Jesus is uh, and what he has done. So we have to start there as we think about encouraging one another uh, in our faith. And we'll get more uh, about, talk more about that in a minute. But also Paul prays for Timothy. That's one of the way he encourages him in his faith that he prays for him. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience 
as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Now this is, I mean, one of those verses you just read and I'm just automatically convicted by it. Like to be honest with you, what or who am I praying for night and day? Like, like how is that present in my life? Uh, it is like a, a challenge to, man, what, how am I so encouraged by who Jesus is and what he's doing in somebody? How am I so needy for God to move and work and to encourage others that night and day they're they called to mind and I'm laying, before, laying them before the God of heaven that he might move and work in their life and fan the flame of faith in their life? I mean, what, what, a, what a convicting thing to read that, that we could at least heed Paul's heart here, that, that we could, in, in whatever way we need to, figure out what it looks like to actually bring people to mind on this kind of consistent basis that we might pray for their faith to be encouraged. A simple application really is just to even think of someone you're thankful for. Like even if you were to think about this week, man, who are you thankful for? I'm so thankful for this person's faith. I'm so thankful for this person in my life. And you know what? I'm going to pray for this person this week. You know what else I'm going to do? Just like Paul sent a text here to Timothy. Took a little longer to get there. Wrote it out a little harder. Uh, but I'm going to tell them that I'm praying for them. Man, I'm so thankful for you. And I'm, I'm praying for you this week. I'm praying for you in the morning. I'm praying for you in the evening. I actually think about Reed. So there's one of the things that he, this is, I'm not sure he's gotten to Paul level, but one of the things that encourages me about Reed is he often does like pray for me and he tells me, he's like, man, I pray for you. I've been praying for you on Wednesday uh, this week. I've been praying for you every morning this week about this or that. And it's, it's such an encouragement to me. And even those are convicting. He's like, man, I, I want to text back and be like, yeah, I've been praying for you that same time every day. And I, I hope you've, but uh, yeah, it's more revealing, uh, but it's an encouragement to receive. And what does it look like for us just to be thankful for people and their faith in our life and to pray for them? That's one of the ways that Paul encourages Timothy's uh, faith. And then Paul reminds Timothy of his sincere faith. Verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And this is one of the things that I think is different about encouragement. As, as we think about gospel encouragement, as we think about Christian encouragement, it, it is spiritual. Like we can give compliments. I think about, I, I, met, I saw a guy the other day, he got a new truck. I said, man, that's awesome. That's a beautiful truck. Way, way to go. Congratulations. That's a, uh, but there, that's not encouragement. That's just, a, that's just a compliment about his truck. If we're giving encouragement as Christians, it's spiritual. It has to do with who God is and who Jesus is and what he has done. And, and seeing that lived out in the midst of their life. That, that is what gospel encouragement, if it's not that, it's something else altogether. And some of those things are good, but it's not the encouragement that Paul is speaking of here. He's encouraging Timothy. He's like, I see that your faith is genuine. I see that it's sincere. I see how it's lived out. I, I see how it, where it's come from. I've seen the legacy of faith in your life. I've seen these godly women that poured into you and that you were raised up in the faith and that you, or your eyes were open to the beauty of who Jesus is and who he is to you, and you, have, you are living that out. You haven't rebelled against this faith that's passed on. You have embraced it, and you're living it out in a sincere way. That, that's the kind of encouragement, again, that we should be seeking and that we should be offering one another. It's not just, oh, this was good. It's like, no, I see Jesus at work in you. I see the faith that you have in him actually affecting the way you're living your life. Uh, that's the kind of gospel encouragement, that we need to encourage one another uh, in our faith.
And then Paul encourages Timothy relationally. Paul tells Timothy that he loves him. Verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child. We need to tell people we love them. And here's the thing. Some of you grew up where that word was freely given and and enjoyed in in a healthy environment. And many of us grew up in jacked up environments there and have an awkward uh, just and there's I've talked to my parents about these things, so I can just share it. But just to maybe like I grew up with a mom that told me she loved me all the time. But to be honest with you, that love was often uncomfortable to receive. Uh, because I was an idol in my mom's life, and so there was a ton of pressure uh, for me to to respond to her in a particular way. And it, and it was so, as, as much as she did genuinely love me, I you know rebelled against receiving that love. And then I grew up with a dead wife, and so as I've become a Christian and obviously said that and heard that more, it can still be shocking. I was just telling someone the other day, I was texting some someone some encouragement because I'm such a good pastor. I'm sorry, I just, but. Um, <laughs> I, I, was, I was encouraging someone the other day, and they responded with just, I love you. And I, it was like, it was, it, was, it was awkward for me. I mean, there was a text, thankfully, so they didn't see anything. Uh, but it was just like, oh, wow, really? That was, that was my thought. It was like, wow, this, this person loves me. That, that's so encouraging. I would have never guessed that. Uh, but, but Paul just tells Timothy, I love you. And, and we got to get through the awkwardness of what that looks like and, and move towards, hey, I love you. Uh, I, I was going to ask my brother if I could share this, but I, he's not here, and so it works out. Uh, but um, I, I was like, Jimmy, we love each other. we got to start telling each other that we love each other. And it, it took that kind of hard turn. We just, you know, we did love each other, and maybe we said it on occasion, maybe not at all. And I was like, dude, we just need to. And it's been a sweet addition to our, our relationship where there's just more... Uh, we just say what, what is true, that, that we, man, I love you. Um, and so, again, as, as we think about encouraging one another relationally, uh, what does it look like for us to be free and genuine with, man, I love you? We have a God who, that's what is his favorite thing to tell us, is that he loves us. And, and, and we should image that God to one another by saying, hey, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I'm so thankful for you. Um, and, and again, I, I acknowledge my baggage because many of us just have baggage there, and that's awkward and hard, uh, but we need to get over that hump and work through that um, and tell one another that we love them. Um, and then he doesn't just say, I love you, but Paul also tells Timothy that he likes him. <laughs> like, again, we're, we're kind of commanded to love one another, so as sweet as it is and hard as it is to tell sometimes, it also can be that thing that, well, of course you love me. Like, you have to love me. Like, you gotta, if I'm your enemy, you got to love me. Jesus said that. Uh, and so, you know, thanks. But Paul also says, man, I actually really enjoy you. Look at verse 4. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Like, there's just this genuine, I mean, you can't help but feel Paul's genuine affection for Timothy. Like, when he sees him, he lights up. When he sees him, he's, he's excited. When he, he's thinking about seeing him, and he feels excitement in his heart uh, towards this reality, reality. And encouragement displays this genuine kind of affection for people. Uh, and, and I think even this kind of encouragement has a way of growing genuine affection. When, when we talk about the joy that we get from seeing people, there's a way that in them and, and us, that joy is actually, it grows. 
and our, our desire to see them and our enjoyment of them uh, continues to grow. Now, here's a, just a, a question you might have. You might be thinking, I actually, okay, I, I do want to give that, but I actually feel like that's lacking in my life. Like, like I want to receive that. I actually want to hear that. I want to hear that people are excited to do with that. How, do we, do we like, then try to get it? Do we, and, and really, us trying to receive affection from people, as many of us know, is the temptation that goes down to a number of different uh, you know, bad roads. Um, but, but here's the deal. We, we also still genuinely desire it, and it is something we should desire. So this, if this is a struggle for you, like, man, I just want to be uh, enjoyed. I want people to enjoy me. What, what we have to do is change that from an expectation to a desire for them. In the sense of, I, I, just an example from marriage, and I, I don't do this near as much as I, I wish I did. I was just talking to some friends about this the other day. But on occasion, you know, I'm thinking of Ginger, and we're in a moment, and uh, let's just say this. Let's say she's on her phone, and, you know, it's a great thing to be on your phone. She's loving people. She's texting somebody. She's thinking through that text so long um, and texting it out, and I'm just, we're riding in the car, so I'm, you know, that's my, her moment to text and my moment to, like, wish she was talking to me. Um, and, uh, and so we, we're in that, those kinds of moments, just inviting you into this. Uh, now, in that moment, I desire something from her. I desire attention, I desire her affection, I desire something from her. And any time I kind of live out of that desire, it probably 100% goes bad. There may have been one good moment where it didn't go bad, I'm, I can't remember that one. Uh, but just this switch of, instead of desiring this from her, like in that moment, oh, what do I desire for her? Like what do I hope for her in this moment? As she's on her phone, texting or doing whatever, and how can I encourage her in that way? And what, what, what can I do to use this moment? Like when I stop needing this thing from her and start wanting something for her, my, I mean, I just, I am invited into a mountain of freedom uh, as opposed to the expectation where I am imprisoned to get this thing or else I'm not going to be happy. Um, and so that's an example for marriage, but in friendship with one another. You feel like you want and desire this kind of affection. You want a Paul to say, man, I love you. I'm so excited to see you. I can't wait to see you. You want this kind of affection in your life. You, one of the things to, to think about is, oh, how do I be this for someone else? How do I, what do I want for these people that I want this from? And what does it look like to encourage that? What does it look like to give them freedom, not lay this heavy burden of this expectation for them to treat me in this way, but to actually try to bless them and encourage them? And just see what the Lord might do. Do you see, see the difference? Then we need to, like Paul, communicate it. We need to say, it is so good to see you. you. We need to say, man, I love this about you. I love when we get together. I love enjoying this aspect of, of who you are. We just need to say those things that are already on our hearts and minds. We love you and we enjoy you. And we need to, again, find uh, genuine ways to tell people that we love them and we like them. But even if you look at verse 4, I want to just acknowledge something. Encouragement doesn't overlook tears. It remembers them. As I remember your tears. Like we, I mean, our most natural thing to say when we cry is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, don't, know what's ha- I don't know why this happened. Like we live in a house where we welcome tears. We talk about tears. We want to hear what's going on with people's tears. We have created very little of any shame around tears. But yet our kids cry and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Like what the, it's just, I don't know how that come, why that is, but it's just we feel bad for crying in any way, and especially in front of anybody, like we've just inconvenienced them. 
And Paul is saying, man, I remember your tears. I don't, I don't, I'm not apologizing for your tears. I don't want you to feel ashamed of your tears. I remember them. And it's actually one of the things that stirs my affection for you. Um, and so we need to actually start, stop apologizing for tears in and of ourselves and you say, man, I'm, I am crying. This is how much I, this is what's going on. This is, I don't need to apologize for this. I just need to be who, and then we need to welcome them. We need to encourage people. No, man, this is a safe place for your tears in this relationship. Um, and then we need to just, that, that simple, hey, what, what's going on with those tears? I want to hear about that. Encouragement doesn't overlook those things. Encouragement isn't just all rosy, and we'll see that uh, even more uh, as we see that Paul actually encourages Timothy in his weakness. Look at verses 6 and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, verses 6 and 7 really uh, are, are Paul's goal of encouragement. Like That's what he's trying to get to as he encourages uh, Timothy. And sometimes even if you think about that, you think, uh, well, if he has a goal in encouragement, if he's because really Paul, Paul knows Timothy, uh, and, and Paul is correcting Timothy here. Paul realizes Timothy has a propensity to fear, uh, has a propensity to weakness, and he's saying, God has not given us that. He's given us a, a spirit of power and love and self-control, and Paul knows it. And you may be thinking, man, did, was, was Paul just buttering Timothy up and talking good things so he could actually lay the hammer of correction on him? And I, I think if you read this, you don't feel that, but we think that. We think, oh, like encouragement and correction are opposed to one another. But what seems to be present in Paul's life is just a freedom of encouragement and love and sincerity and also a desire for Timothy. He has hopes for him. He has goals for him. I would actually say if we don't have those things for people, then our encouragement is probably something else altogether. Our encouragement is just flattery so we could feel good about ourselves. Our encouragement may be something like, oh, if I encourage them uh, in this way. Sorry, just going to watch Lily. Go. It's hard when it's your kid, so I have to pause. I think she's doing great. Um, but uh, encouragement is one of those things that, again, if we do not have a goal for the people that we are encouraging, see, you know, um, and we, we don't, you know, we're not that honest, but, but how often is our encouragement about something else? Well, Paul is just completely honest. He encourages, he's sincere, he loves this guy, he likes this guy. And he has hopes for this guy. He, he doesn't shy away from, man, brother, this is an area you're weak, and this is what I'm praying for you. This is what I'm hoping for you. This is what I'm longing for you. There's just an honesty and sincerity to their relationship. And so we don't have, we, what, the hope would be that our relationships are so full of encouragement uh, that correction is just a part of that. That, oh, brother, oh, sister, I, I see this, and this is what I would hope for you. This is what I think God wants for you here. And that's what we see Paul doing in, in, in verses 6 and 7. Again, why do we think encouragement stands in opposition to a hope or a goal or a correction uh, for Timothy? You have to steward the message of the gospel. Do everything you can to stir that up and turn from everything that keeps you uh, from stirring that up. That's what Paul is encouraging. Now, I, I guess I should offer that not every time we encourage someone, we don't need to remind them of their weaknesses. 
but hopefully we can have relationships that are so full of encouragement and so full of correction in our weaknesses that, that it's just it's, it's a sincere enjoyment of relationships. There's, what's hard, we all know, is when we feel like we have something to say, but we don't feel like we have the relational capital to say it. Um, and so, and that can be a thing that's hard to navigate. You need wisdom for that. I'm not going to try to answer that question for you in every way. But what is a joy is when you have relationships where that's less of a question. We have relationships where, man, this, this is not hard to say. This is where there's encouragement, there's love, there's sincerity here. And this is actually really easy to say, um, even though it may be a hard thing. Uh, and, and Paul is modeling for us how to get to those places in relationships. That we pray for one another, that we encourage people in their faith, that we communicate how much we love them, how much we enjoy them, and that, yeah, obviously we have hopes. I hope you have hopes for me. I hope you have hopes when you see something going on in my life that you hope what God would want for me, and, and I hope you want to receive that from others. I hope you want to say, man, what would you, this is going on. I feel like I'm struggling here. I feel like I'm suffering here. I feel like I keep getting caught in this sin here. What would you hope for me? What would you say to me? We, we need to desire and enjoy and pursue those kinds of relationships. Again, you just get the impression that Tim, this is not a new conversation for Timothy and Paul. He's just reminding him what he's, you know, they've been talking about for uh, a long time. Um, and Paul is just super generous and hopeful with his encouragement and his correction. He's just being a good pastor. And, and even if we think about, uh, you know, uh, encouragement and correction, and you even think about pastors, there's certain pastors that are, you know, all encouragement and they have zero correction, or certain uh, pastors that have all correction and zero encouragement, or they just err on one side of the extreme, and Paul is giving us a different model. And obviously, just like pastors, we're all people in that way. We're prone to cynicism and seeing what's wrong, or we're prone to wanting to ignore what's wrong and just look at everything that's good, and both of those fall incredibly flat, because they should, because that's not who God is. God sees what's wrong, and God has a great encouragement for us, and he's honest about all of it. And we want to image him in that way, not err on one side or the other. Are you prone to encourage, but never safe? Encourage people in the relationship with you and encourage people in the weaknesses that even you see. I like John Stott again. He says this about Timothy. This then was Timothy, young in years, frail in physique, retiring in disposition, who nevertheless was called to exacting responsibilities in the church of God. Greatness was being thrust upon him, and like Moses and Jeremiah and a host of others before and after him. Timothy was exceedingly reluctant to accept it. As someone who is reading these pages in a similar situation, you're young and weak and shy, and yet God is calling you to leadership. This letter has a special, a special message for all timid Timothys. And even if you, some of you know, like, Paul encouraging Timothy to not be looked down on his faith. And, and in that era, young and old was completely different than it is now. So Timothy was actually likely in his uh, 30s, maybe in his 40s. That was still considered young in, in that day. Um, and, and so wherever we find ourselves, in the 30s and 40s, much younger, much older, that, that we all have this timidity to, to step into what God has given us opportunity to do. Whatever that is, we all, we all have different reasons. We all have that, that spirit of fear that's like, hey, come this way. It's safer, it's more comfortable, it's easier. You can just hang out here. And we all have to consider what it looks like to actually not give in to that spirit of fear. But God, would you grow in me power and love and self-control? 
to, to not pursue comfort in that way, but actually to pursue what it looks like to be courageous in my following of you, wherever that might take me, whatever that might mean. That, that we would give God just that, that, God, what do you want? Yes. I don't, I don't even know what the question is, but yes. That, that's what Timothy is, that's what Paul is encouraging Timothy to do. There's, there's a lot of no's that come from fear. And there's this yes of God. I don't know what this means. I don't know where this will take me. I don't know what this looks like, but, but I'm ready and I'm willing to follow you. This is the, the kind of faith that 2 Timothy will encourage us in. I want to offer just a couple calls in, in closing. One uh, to men and then one to women. So men, as we think about 2 Timothy, I just want to say we, we need you. Like, like we need you to lead as Paul is calling Timothy to lead. And, and not just we, like your family needs you. If you're single and uh, God has a family for you in your future, your future family needs you. If you're single and God does not have that for you in your future, your, your friends, your coworkers, this church needs you. You're not less needed, just needed in different ways. But, but men, we, we need you. We need you to, to lead your family. We need you to lead your kids if the Lord provides. We need you to lead at work. We need you to lead in your neighborhood. We need you to lead in the church. We need you to lead as God has called you to lead. Not as I've called you to lead, not as uh, some other, you know, whatever has called you, but as God in his person is calling men to lead. We need men to lead in that way. Is there any spirit of fear that keeps you from saying no to those ways that God is calling you to lead? I think about it. Maybe God's calling you to lead like he's calling uh, the Stabels, like he's called them to uh, share the gospel in um, Man, I just forgot the country all of a sudden. Congo. I was going to guess that, but uh, there's so many countries in Africa. Answer is yes. So, some, of, some of you may be being called to do something that's even scarier, which is actually to step out in vulnerability in the midst of your family, in the midst of your friends, in the midst of your neighbors, to not just share the gospel in Congo, but to share the gospel on your block, on your street, with those that are in your midst. Like there's something, to be honest with you, sometimes, I mean, this is a call that we all need to answer if the Lord puts it on us, but there's something some, that feels a little easier about going somewhere else where you don't know people and you're going to share the gospel there as opposed to what does it look like to not have a spirit of fear where God has you right now? The people that you're going to see the very next day, uh, the people that you might, you know, bump into and when things go awry. What does it look like to uh, ask God to give you a spirit of power and, and freedom and and self-control. Just say, men, men, we need you. Um, a couple other things for guys. Maybe God, maybe you realize God is leading you to reach out with help with the struggle that you have. Maybe you've been struggling with porn for a really long time and it's been hidden. It's a, it's a really courageous step to take. And, and, and one that there's a mountain of temptation that will keep you from that. Maybe God's calling you in that way. Or maybe God's calling you just to invite someone into your house that's different than you. A different religion, a different ethnicity, a different whatever. Someone that you wouldn't normally, like, what, did, what would it look like to even pray for that? You're like, man, I don't even know where to go. I, can't, I don't have anybody in my life like that. What would it look like to pray that God would send someone like that into your life, that you could lead your family and what it looks like uh, to invite people into your house and be hospitable, both to Christians and to non-Christians? Men, we need you to lead uh, in this way. 
I want to fan the flame of faith, of faith that is in you and remind you that God has given us, sorry, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And men, we need you to, to walk that out. Women. So the reality is we all know you're just kind of better at this. You're not perfect. you got so many struggles, so I'm not going to talk about those. I wanna, uh, but you're, you're better at this. You really are. In most churches I've been in, women are just better at this than men. And, and that's a call for us men to be more vulnerable, to be more open, to engage one another in this kind of faith-filled encouragement. Uh, and maybe it's just because I, I obviously live with my wife, who's really good at this. And so I see, but I see women encourage her in this way. I see her encourage women, one, just are in relationships and they love Jesus. And they're just a little more open about that kind of encouragement. And, and so I just want to acknowledge that. That is a reality. And praise, praise God for that. Uh, I'm thankful for that. I hope us men can, can kind of catch up to you. Uh, but I do want to ask this question. Is there anything present in your relationship that is holding you back? Is there anything present in your relationships that's kind of making you hesitant to really press into this? Uh, maybe you're new, and you, so you feel like you need to get to know people better. Maybe there's something going on in a relationship, and you, you don't even know what it is, but it's just awkward, and you don't know how to get over that hump. Maybe you, it's like, a, like the neighbor that you've never met. Maybe you've been in a relationship for a long time, but you've never engaged in this spiritual way. And it's like, man, it'd feel awkward now. I know they love Jesus. I know I love Jesus. But it's just going to be awkward because we haven't been doing this. And, and sometimes you just kind of, like me and my brother, like, hey, dude, we just got to start telling each other we love each other. Maybe it's like, hey, we, I, I really want to engage in this way. I want to go deeper. I want to talk about what's really going on in our life and who Jesus is and what, what he has to do uh, with any of that. So it's just kind of that question. Is there anything, as you think about your relationships, that's kind of getting in the way? I would say where women are better at this and typical, they're not as good at acknowledging those things. It's like, oh, that's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to make them feel bad. It's going to make me feel bad. I think it'll work out. Um, what does it look like to just acknowledge it? and pray and ask God to move um, and, and help you engage in relationships uh, in this kind of way. Is there fear? Is there comparison? Is there jealousy? Again, let me remind you of the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Like That promise is what gets you to overcome those. Comparison, fear, jealousy, struggle, and there's life in Christ Jesus for you and whoever that sister is. So would you press in to that? And I, really, obviously, the more we realize that, the more freedom we'll experience from uh, an unhealthy need for relationships. That this life is found in Jesus. And so that would, makes you even a little willing to sacrifice the discomfort of that relationship. Like, oh, I want it to be comfortable. Well, man, if life is in Jesus and I don't need this relationship to be comfortable in my life, I can sacrifice some discomfort hoping that Jesus is going to move in a way that only he can move in the midst of this relationship. Um, and when we believe this, it, it really gives us a supernatural ability to enjoy and serve people relationally. And, and I would say this, I don't mean practically. Women, y'all are great at that. You serve people practically on uh, just it's out of control. But I'm talking about emotionally. Like, serve people and be served emotionally in relationships. Okay. We encourage each other not because we are awesome, but because God is awesome. And he's poured out his grace and love into our hearts. 
So the more we see him, the more we are able to encourage one another. As I said, what God loves to tell his children, what he loves, the message he has to the world is, I love you. I love you. That, that's his message. And that message, when received, is what encourages us uh, to encourage one another. So I'm going to close with Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Just hear God's love and encouragement of Uh, those that are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, hear this invitation to be wrapped up into this. Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love... He predestined us for adoption to himself as his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. And all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Lord Jesus, that we could be united to you at all is grace upon grace. That you have good things to say about us is grace upon grace. That your people are the apple of your eye, Father, that is just grace upon grace. You have encouraged us by creating us in your image. You have shown us the the folly of us rebelling against that dependency on you rebelling against the the very image we're created in, and yet you have made a way for us to be redeemed and reconciled back to you. This is lavish love. And so, Spirit, I pray that we would hear this love, that we would experience this love, that even now in this moment as we sing back to you, that we would be overwhelmed by your love and that it would be a gritty, raw, real kind of love that actually leads and affects and impacts the way we treat one another. That it isn't just an emotional experience. It isn't just this euphoric high. But, Spirit, it's your power working in us and through us for your good pleasure. And that it would shape us and grow us and form us more into the image of Christ. Spirit, would you give us real encouragement for one another this week? And would you just grow us? Uh, Spirit, I thank you that you've given us a church that genuinely encourages one another, but would you multiply that work? That we would see and feel and experience and give your encouragement and receive it with glad and generous hearts unto you. This is a miraculous work that we can't create, and so we just ask you for, in Jesus' name, amen.